Hey there. Just before we uh, start the show, I want to let you know that we're doing a pledge drive to help cover our hosting and production costs for both Mega Ten Marathon and Combo Chain for the next year. It actually costs us over $500 a year, and so any amount you could contribute would be huge help. Since it's a pledge drive, we've got some special giveaways. Not tote bags, unfortunately, but if you contribute $5, you'll get an episode on The World Ends With You months before it gets released. Contribute 10 bucks, and you'll get that, as well as a special deep dive episode on Persona 5 Royal. But seriously, any amount is a huge help. Uh, to contribute, head over to tinyurl.com backslash megatenchain. Thanks so much for the support, and as always, for listening to the shows. to combo chain it's a jrpg games club podcast i'm paul m davis and who am i joined uh, by today uh, you were joined by robert today welcome back robert i think the last game you did was was it ease eight the last game we did do we did east and played fantasy star and i can't remember the order of things because time right. is an illusion <laughs> Yeah, it's getting confusing. And were you on Mega Ten Marathon at all? Uh, yeah, we played TMS. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. TMS hashtag fe. <sighs> no one at me. I know it's not pronounced hashtag. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that's funny. Elisa and I were doing a recording yesterday or the day before, and we just started talking some trash on a TMS. People anyway. really like that game too, and I'm like, I'm surprised. Oh yeah, people I don't, love that game. I don't. I, yeah, I, I don't want to shit on them. I think it's just I didn't like it as much. No, it's a perfectly fine JRPG, but uh, you know, just not exceptional. But we are not talking about TMS hashtag FE today. We are doing a much better game, which is Skies of Arcadia. So yeah, do you want to just give us some background or backstory with your history? With the game, Robert? Sure, yeah. So I had a Dreamcast, and I remember following this game in the official Dreamcast magazine back when it was called Eternal Arcadia. And then I played the demo and the demo disc that came with the official Dreamcast magazine. And then I never actually played the full game until it came out in GameCube. But I really liked it. Yeah, I wish... Um, I think that if I had known more about its its the people behind it, I would have been a lot more interested just because of the involvement of Reiko Kodama, the fantasy star creator and whatnot. I think I was just going through a period of time when I was a little like not that into JRPGs. So yeah, I didn't really pay attention to it on either uh, the Dreamcast 
or the GameCube. But yeah, in recent years, I picked it up on, shall we say, Dolphin? (laughs) A a certain Cetitian. (laughs) Yeah, I loved it. Even though it's got plenty of like pretty dated elements, I'm really glad that I finally played it. Yeah. Surprising yeah. for me because like I wasn't in any sort of lull on RPGs. Like I played all the other stuff that was on Dreamcast and certainly on GameCube. I don't know why I missed this game because honestly, I was pirating everything on Dreamcast. So like, I played Grandia too. Why didn't I play this? <laughs> oh man, the pirating, the ability to pirate on in Dreamcast. It's amazing how easy that was. That system is like notorious for that. Yeah, it was really easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, let's get into the uh, backstory and uh, development history of the game. The development began in 1999 under the codename Project Ares. The internal Sega development team, Overworks, consisted of development staff from uh, Team Andromeda, which is best known for their works on the uh, Panzer Dragoon games, and uh, from the Fantasy Star development teams. And I think you really see it. I noticed that definitely going back to uh, research this episode that there's a ton of Fantasy Star and Panzer Dragoon Saga DNA in this game. Yeah, I can, like, just looking back, I can see it makes perfect sense. Uh, I hadn't played any of those games before this, but now that I'm looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, like, even the way you control yourself on the field is a lot like Panzer Dragoon Saga. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's super interesting. Producer Reiko Kadama, who I am a uh, major super fan of, and I believe you are too, Robert? I guess I am now because I, I didn't really know too much about her before we started recording these, and now she keeps coming up, so she's really good, obviously. Oh, yeah, she's she's done. Yeah, she did Fantasy Star 1, 2, and 4, you know, headed up a major JRPG franchise, at a time when that was extremely rare for a woman in Japan. Yeah, she worked on this game. She was involved in the first two uh, Sonic the Hedgehog games. And more recently, she's been involved with Valkyria Chronicles and the Seventh Dragon games. There was a really grim period in the uh, aughts where they just had her like working on the worst shovelware. But it seems in recent years that they've realized like what a talent they have there and brought her back into uh, more high-profile projects. So the scenario writer was uh, Shintaro Tanaka, who'd uh, written the stories for the two Secure War games. And uh, the soundtrack was composed by uh, Yutaka Minobe and uh, Tatsuyuka Maeda. And Maeda had uh, composed the music for Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Something that's really unique for the time is that they made really conscious decisions to make entering like individual buildings and towns seamless without loading. This was the area of... <laughs> the slowly the door opening hidden loading scene and they also chose to use a really expressive anime art style so they could clearly show facial expressions and the emotions of characters 
which they felt had been lacking from recent popular RPGs, Final Fantasy VII, Final Fantasy VIII. And I think that really pays off. It's almost kind of a precursor to The Wind Waker with the expressiveness of, of the faces. Yeah, the art style doesn't come across as special now in like today's context, but I'm just thinking about it. The going into the buildings without loading thing actually still is pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Like I play, I don't know, a Tales game or something. It's all just fade out loading screen. Yeah, totally. Uh, so like many games, development began on the uh, Sig Saturn um, and it never came there. <laughs> Um, at the time, the concept was for there to be battles on land and on the tops of trains. So it looked like maybe they were looking for, like, instead of a airship motif, they were going for steampunk trains kind of motif. After production moved to the Dreamcast, they changed the concept to Traveling the Skies, which was inspired by the Age of Discovery. At the time, Japanese role-playing games were portraying like mostly darker worlds, and that was definitely an influence from the PS1-era JRPGs. And Overworks bucked that by creating a game with an optimistic protagonist who is just out to explore the world. And I feel like that's still like a quality of it that's unique to it to today. Yeah, for sure. We'll talk about it, but I keep thinking of things that, like, even to this day, they stand out. Like, a lot of effort was put into making this game feel like a particular sort of adventure story that isn't always done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, something else that is interesting, I think this is also a testament to uh, a lot of the games that Reiko Kodama works on, is that they took particular care to portray and Fina, who were Vice's female colleagues on equal footing with him rather than being saved by him, which is another thing that was unique for the time and still today could be done better. So that's really great. The historical architecture and ancient civilizations were attributed to Shintaro Tanaka, who had uh, majored in history at university, and uh, he was the person who conceptualized the whole world and scenario and uh, landed on that Age of Discovery concept. So, following its uh, original Dreamcast release, uh, Skies of Arcadia was re-released on the GameCube as Skies of Arcadia Legends in Japan in 2002 and the West in 2003. There were some changes when they brought it to the GameCube. Any in particular come to mind to you, Robert? The first thing is that they reduced the encounter rate by a lot and changed all of the experience and gold drops to compensate for that, which is a good decision. It is a good decision, but it, man, the, <laughs> the, yeah, the encounter rate is still too high. <laughs> it's still a lot. But they also added this like bounty system, like you get these side quests to hunt down these particular people who are wanted and fight them. And there was also like a different side quest uh, chain where you fight this lady named Piastol. But all of those fights scaled with your level, so they require a lot of strategy to beat, and they were really cool. Admittedly, like if you get to a high enough level, you could just spam the same abilities 
defensive abilities and come out on top every time. But even, well, even then, some of them were still really tough. And there are, there's just a lot of funny characters in them. Like one of the bounty fights is just the doppelganger version of your crew. Like a guy <laughs> named Vise. Vise. Looking <laughs> yeah. That was one of the tough ones, too. I don't know. It, mostly it just looked nicer and had the encounter rate and stuff. But I think the new stuff they added was really fun and gave you something to actually really make use out of the combat system from, which is pretty good considering what you would usually get as added content and re-release would be like not as much. Like here's one fight that has really high stats. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Sega did a good job at the time of, for the most part, when they ported stuff off the Dreamcast over to Xbox and uh, GameCube about as far as like adding features that were actually meaningful. So mechanically, we've got this is a JRPG. You've got battles. Uh, so you've got your standard kind of random encounters for regular on foot combat. And the encounter rate, like we were talking about before, is pretty high. Uh, you can't really avoid it until later in the game, which can be a problem because the game will penalize you from running for battles. There's mm-hmm. like a ranking system that doesn't do a whole lot. But it goes up if you fight battles. It goes down when you run away. Uh, mostly it goes up if you pick like the right uh, dialogue options during the story to be like a cool guy instead of a ninny being the lowest rank. Fights the <laughs> ninny. And it goes up to uh, legend is the highest. Vice the legend is the highest ranking you can get. I think it was just regular in the Dreamcast version, but in the GameCube version you had to go and uh, do a bunch of, do basically everything in the game. Do all the side quests and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. So anyway, the game discourages you from running away, which is not actually a big deal. But of course, if you're like me, it's going to make you never run away. Then the other type of combat is uh, ship combat, where you're actually in your big pirate ship, shooting cannons at either other ships or 
really big monsters, some of which are part of the story, and then some are just optional hanging around. Which is another thing I think about is really cool about the game. Just there are a few one-off giant monster enemies that just float around and are all cool, unique fights. It, it, it almost reminds me of the like free-range mode in a Star Fox 64, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah, because you're flying around. Yeah, yeah, but you're like, flying around an arena. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, You just control the weapons, and you have like a grid over each turn. So if you have three party members, it'll be like a three-by-three three grid. If you have four party members, it's a four-by-four, four, and you're setting the timing. And there are lots of parts where you want to concentrate all of your attacks into one part of the turn, or you want to defend during a certain part because you'll have a general idea of when your opponent is going to move. And in all the story fights, there will be a lot of cases where you have to actually make decisions. And depending on your choice, you might be at a tactical advantage or disadvantage. Mm -hmm. That's why there's uh, not as many ship-to-ship battles as there are just ordinary battles. Yeah, yeah. I can see that for a lot of reasons. Just the difficulty of designing them, but also... Yeah, having the system resources and whatnot. Yeah. yeah, but then going to just what you'll be spending most of your time doing, ordinary character combat, you've got, it's most, you know, it's mostly what you would expect from a JRPG, but you do have, I think, a lot of unique features too. One thing is positioning. Like the characters are actually moving around, fighting between each other's turns. There's not like mm-hmm. a positioning grid system or anything and you don't control it but where characters are standing affects the range of certain moves and they'll also like animate fighting while turns are going on so no one will ever hit anyone no damage will happen outside of the moves you've selected but i just think it makes everything look more like a fight i was always really impressed by that yeah yeah definitely adds like some very very similitude to it yeah, so you've got your attacks, you've got magic, you've got special like super moves, and you've got the focus command, which in order to cast magic or do your super moves, I think you've got MP, but you also have something called a spirit gauge, which is shared by the entire party. Mm-hmm. So focus just gives you more on that in addition to what you get turn per turn. So I'm not normally a person who would ever choose something like, oh, skip this turn to make your next turn stronger. But with focus, it's like a completely viable strategy to have someone play defense and charge up moves, charge up points for another character to do a really powerful move. Totally. Totally. The game is pretty good at making me use things I would normally avoid, like the plague. <laughs> I think even the buffs are pretty good. Like it's not Megatem, but the buff is pretty good in this game. Yeah, yeah. Those those kind of charge up moves, I usually, I, I also avoid them. I think there's also in the Trails of Cold Steel games where I used to ignore them until I realized just like how powerful they are. But typically I will play a JRPG like an idiot and just be like, okay, just keep on hitting it over and over. Yeah, basically. There is one special option that gets unlocked later in the game. The crew special where everyone you've recruited to your crew and brought with you comes out and either attacks the enemy or heals you. 
everyone's got their own unique animation and it's totally useless and you should never use it because you can also use those points. You need to have a full spirit gauge and the other option you get just drops the moon on the enemy and does a lot more damage. So I, other than to watch the animation, you'll never use the crew special. It also sounds like uh, like special Long John Silvers or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I guess there's that too. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the bad guys in this game are called the Value and Empire, and I always think that kind of sounds like a chain of convenience stores. It does. It does. It does. It's something you'd see on a PowerPoint deck. <laughs> it's like the really gritty version of Trader Joe's. <laughs> one other mechanic is discoveries because this is like one of those age of discovery exploration you're a pirate games you're a pirate in the like veggie tales sense but you could find uh, (laughs) interesting things throughout the world some ancient ruins or discovering that the world is round and eventually those will be discovered with or without you. So if you find them late, you won't get as much money for turning them in. And money, money and side quest rank stuff is all it's good for, but it adds a lot to the world and it's really cool. Yeah. It helps make the whole world feel more lived in. Yeah, for sure. Some of them are really hard to find though. You probably wouldn't get them all without a guide. No, no. Yeah. Thank God we live in the age of game facts. At least, I mean, we are no longer enslaved to the official Prima guide or whatever. <laughs> or even worse, those generic guides that my parents used to get me that had the crappy generic cart on the covers. Oh, yeah, those. <laughs> yep. <laughs> At least it wasn't the like play online uh, Final Fantasy IX guide that everyone remembers. <laughs> I've heard tell of that, but I don't. I've never played Final Fantasy IX. No, I haven't either. I just know it by reputation. Sure, we'll be like crucified for not having played that. But the only Final Fantasy I know a lot is five. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just not a big Final Fantasy guy, but (laughs) which is weird um, for like where we are here. Yeah, it is. It's really funny. My appreciation for Final Fantasy has increased in the past year or two when I've as I've come to just how weird it is like yeah yeah, me too actually I only started playing it was five it was the four job fiesta that really got me to think okay maybe I'm okay with this series after all and just the fact that I know every one of these games was just totally different that's pretty wild yeah yeah and there's a lot of weird shit going on there if you want to, if you want to hear half of it, take a listen to uh, the um, Lightning Returns episode that we did. Um, oh yeah, I'll have to. I'll, I'll check that out later. Yeah, there's all kinds of crazy shit going on in that game. So yeah, let's uh, move on to the main characters. Primarily, you've got Vice. He's an upbeat blue rogue sky pirate who doubles as the player avatar. He's your classic brave but just hero. But he also has just like a very like affecting sense of just like we're out on an adventure and good friend to his to all and all this kind of stuff. And uh, Oh yeah. Very- they're like 
none of these main characters has like a character arc or anything. They're pretty flat throughout the game. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. But they, for as broadly as they're drawn, they're pretty appealing, I think. Yeah, they're fun and likable characters. So you enjoy spending time with them, which is really important. Yeah, totally. Yeah, Vice fights with twin cutlasses, one that he primarily uses in offense and the other for defense. A cool uh, little uh, bit of trivia is that he cameos in the first uh, Valkyria Chronicles. And uh, you may appreciate this. He had some cameo appearances in the Archie Sonic comics. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I feel like everyone's been in the Archie Sonic comics. <laughs> I wonder if that one guy is trying to grab rights to uh, Vice. <laughs> uh, you can also race him in uh, Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing Transformed. Oh, yeah, yeah. That is a, that is a surprisingly good game. It is very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It only took me like a second to remember the exact series of words that forms its name. I know, it's ridiculous. And I was really disappointed to find out that the more more recent sequel is just pretty much like Sonic and his shitty friends. And uh, they've excised a lot of the just kind of classic Sega characters. Yeah, that that is a shame. Even as someone who like likes Sonic and his shitty friends, I want to play as uh, Alex Kidd or whatever. Yeah, I, de- I definitely want to play as Alex Kidd or, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, drive the forklift, whatnot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to drive the forklift. That's like the that was missing from uh, Transformed and is the one flaw with that game. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, you've got uh, Ika, who's uh, Vice's close friend since childhood and uh, his fellow blue rogue. She's got a strong personality and an easily inflamed temper, but she also, of course, has weaknesses. She has an obsession with treasure. Jesus Christ. Women, right? (laughs) Yeah, we're doing piracy. Yeah. She's like the only Uh, one who is at least doing something piratey. Yeah, totally. She's also got a fear of swimming. She was orphaned at an early age and was cared for by Vice's family. And she fights using an oversized boomerang. And then the last of the primary characters is Fina. She's a Sylvite, meaning that she's a uh, survivor of an ancient, defunct uh, silver civilization. She's uh, sweet-natured, but also doggedly determined. She's got a pet, which is a silver ball-like creature named Cupul, who fights for her. Cupul can morph into various shapes and gains power by eating charms. His most powerful form is Final Cupel, which in the Dreamcast version required a download to the VMU to get the final charm. And then when not in battle... Final Cupel is is just Kirby. He just sucks him up and spits him out. Yeah, basically. Even when it makes no sense, which is pretty good. And Cupel never talks either. I, I know a lot of people don't like the mascot characters, so you don't have to worry about Cupel. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that pretty much wraps it up for our main characters. There's a bunch of other side characters that we'll talk about when we get to the plot, but those are our protagonists. We've alluded to it a bit, but the world of the game is called Arcadia, of course, 
and it's all everything is floating islands in the sky so instead of an ocean you've just got clouds uh, which is a kind of concept like uh, Bot and Kaitos did this. Grand Blue mm-hmm. Fantasy does this now. And it's very similar. Yeah, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles uh, 2 oh, yeah. does, does it as well. But I feel like this was the first, so this gets all the credit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's also six moons, which uh, if you had water would probably have weird tides. And each <laughs> yeah. So for each moon, there's like a civilization on these floating continents. And kind of the backstory is that like thousands of years ago, each one of those moon civilizations developed a, a really big monster called a Gigas, and they were all fighting and warring. And in order to prevent the extinction of humanity from these Gigas fighting, the uh, Silver Moon civilization used theirs to do something called the Reigns of Destruction, where it just makes meteors fall on the Earth. So that almost destroyed the whole world, but didn't and ended the war and then they sealed the gigas away so to prevent it from being ever used again and hid the crystals that control the various gigas is pretty standard uh, jrpg plot mm-hmm. yeah you're classic ancient co- ancient catastrophe that comes back again <laughs> So it starts out with Vice and Aka, who are the Blue Rogues pirates, seizing a Valuan battleship camp- captained by Alfonso, an admiral of the Valuan Empire's Armada. Yeah, he's not very admirable. <laughs> no, he's not admirable at all. He is, he is your classic, like, whiny, feckless, <laughs> um, in over his head uh, leader. You come across Fina, who's a girl of mysterious origin, who had been captured by Alfonso. And so she's rescued by the Blue Rogues and uh, taken back to their base at Pirate Isle. Head to the Shrine Island to obtain a moonstone, which, as we mentioned, are these stones that fall from the uh, moons and are a source of energy for all kinds of different purposes. In the meantime, Pirate Isle is attacked by Valua's Lord Admiral Galcian and his Vice Captain Ramirez, 
and uh, the dying pirates and Fina are taken to Valua to be subjugated and finally executed. So you go off to save them, of course, but on the way, uh, your ship gets capsized by Rachnum, a gigantic whale, not like a sky whale. They call it an arc whale in this world. And they get saved by an old sailor named Drachma, who's doing the Ahab thing. His whole mission is to destroy Rachnum. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, he oh, saves. I've got such a he's basically the old sea captain from from Simpsons but I've got, I've got oh yeah a, <laughs> that's that's really true <laughs> such a soft spot for those characters yeah he's pretty nice and he's probably I don't know actually at least fairly old whereas in a JRPG usually that's like 25 I know I know it's always refreshing to see a character who's over the age of 30. In yeah, a plus he has a cool, like, uh, robot arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he, first he drops uh, Vice and Ica off at an island called Sailor's Island, which is sort of a trading hub kind of area. But uh, they convince him to take them to Valiwa. Uh, but first, in order to do that, you have to just escort a merchant to uh, back home to the continent of Nasser and protect him from a uh, black pirate. I don't know we mentioned the blue rogues are the good guy pirates and there's the black pirates which are the bad guy you have to self-identify if you're good or evil <laughs> true. you're doing this for a passport so you just do your first ship battle there learn about that you've got uh drachma's ship little jack and it's harpoon cannon on the front <laughs> for your special attack i love the name little jack that is pretty good and so when you do eventually sneak into valua you get the help of uh, Marco, this like orphan kid on the lower slum parts of the city. And you go through the catacombs to get to the Colosseum and save all your friends from execution. And then you all manage to escape. Just barely, of course. Yeah. So you get back to uh, Pirate Isle. And uh, then reveals that she's a uh, Silvite of the long-lost Silver Civilization. Her goal is to obtain the moon crystals, which, of course, as we mentioned before, are the crystals that controlled the Gigas, which had ravaged the land long ago. This is partially because the Value Empire is also after the moon crystals to obtain control of the Gigas, because they want to conquer the world. So, uh... Vice, Ica, Fida, and Drachma head to the deserts of Nazar to obtain the Red Moon Crystal. Drachma abandons the trio and strands them at Maramba to pursue his goal of defeating Rachnum. Uh, While you're uh, stranded there, you meet Belina, who's a belly dancer who helps you out, takes you to the temple where the Red Moon Crystal is. And you go through that dungeon and get it. And then she reveals she was actually the uh, Valuant Admiral Beleza, the like red color themed admiral, because of course they're all color themed. And she steals the crystal and revives uh, the Red Gigas Recumen. But Drachma shows up and saves you. And then you fight Recumen in your first big monster ship battle. You can't actually beat it. All you can do is prevent it from hitting you with well-timed attacks for a little while. And then you realize what you actually want to do is go fight Belazas, and she has the crystal. If you get rid of her or take it from her, then she won't be able to control it anymore, and that will be fine. 
She's a strategic fight. You have to make good decisions about how to catch her off guard. But she's only like normal powerful. So once you beat her, then you manage to get the red crystal back. Yeah. And then they they head off to Ixataka. Yeah, in Crystal World. Yeah, exactly. And to get there, they uh, have to sail through the South Ocean, which is an airspace with uh, turbulent winds. They reach Horteca, which is a village in Ixataka. They learn from the village elder that King Ixataka knows where the green crystal can be found and that to keep the information uh, secret, he's hiding out elsewhere. So they set out to find the king, but in the meanwhile, Vice encounters the Valuan Admiral DeLoco, who's burning the forest with his ship, the Chameleon, in order to find the hidden city of Rixus. Yeah. <coughs> it's very subtle. He's named DeLoco. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a classic, just villainous thing to do. <laughs> Have me thinking about just... Uh, mass like clear cutting and burning of the amazon or something then you enter into uh, another uh, ship battle to take down the uh, subtly named DeLoco, and uh, after doing that they reach the king's hideout yeah so king ixataka tells you that green crystal is in the lost city of rixus and the only person who knows where that is the high priest isapa and he is held in cat or i don't remember if it's he or she or whatever but High Priest Isapa, who's being held captive at the mines of Moonstone Mountain. So then you have to go in there. That's another dungeon. You have to save Isapa from DeLoco, and Alfonso shows up too, so you can fight a palette swap version of his pet bull from the beginning of the game. You get some help from Centim, another blue rogue, who I don't remember very well. They don't make much of, a, uh, much of an impression. And then you get a bunch of clues from Isapa that help you like piece out the location of Rixus. You have to actually find it on the world map and it's a discovery. But then when you get there and you find the altar where the green crystal should be, you discover that uh, King Ixataka already has it. And he just goes ahead and summons Grendel, the green gigas. But then he gets knocked unconscious, uh, which in this case means the gigas is now out of control and rampaging. Uh, yeah. It seems it, a little bit it, different. It, from it looks, it, it looks, uh, I know, Doshin the Giant. Yeah, does, yeah, yeah, except green instead of yellow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta watch out, he's gonna raise the land or something. Yeah. Just equally like dumb and goofy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fun. And you still aren't strong enough to beat Grendel, so you have to knock it into a like a ravine. After you fight DeLoco as well. You have two consecutive fights here, but in this case, it's the Giga she fights second. But then the king gives you the green crystal. On their way to Value to obtain the yellow moon crystal, the party sail through North Ocean, and they're attacked by Gordo, a black pirate. They, of course, defeat. They reach the Maw of Tardis, where they're ambushed by Value and soldiers, and after defeating them, they learn that Rocknum is nearby. Drachma orders his crew to prepare to attack Rocknum. The night before the attack, Drachma confides in advice that he was a fisherman and had a son named Jack, and that his son and crew were killed by Rocknum years ago, 
And so that explains why he's got such an axe to grind against the guy. Yeah, when uh, Rackdom does arrive, you end up in a big three-way battle between Ramirez's fleet, uh, the big whale Rackdom, and your one ship, which I guess feels a little mismatched. But then again, you've been destroying their admirals pretty easily. So Little Jack ends up attached to Rackdom with its harpoon, but then it gets lit on fire. So everyone has to abandon ship, except Drachma chooses to stay on and go down with it and disappears. So you won't see him again for a little while. Of course he survives. Come on. But unfortunately for everyone, the lifeboats get shot down too. And Vice wakes up without Ica or Fina on a deserted island. He finds half the map or half of a map on the remains of a, another sailor he finds there. Uh, meanwhile, Ica and Fina, they get picked up by uh, a different blue rogue named Clara and they wind up at the capital of Nasser, the city of Nasrad. Yeah, so Vice uh, is, meanwhile, working on uh, creating a fire to uh, signal any passing boats and on fixing his lifeboat. A boat eventually sails by and picks up Vice, which is uh, captained by another uh, blue rogue named Glider. They travel to Nasrad. I think it's Gilder. Are these, yeah, I think it's I.L. You're right. Captain by Gilder, another blue rogue, they travel to and arrive at Nazrad, evading Clara, who's enamored with Gilder, and uh, yeah, has a thing for him. After Vice arrives at the, the inn, Fina and Ika, who are also in Nazrad, but uh, never cross paths with Vice. Yeah, it's very um, sitcom-esque. Yeah, it is. It is. It's ridiculous. They earn enough to buy a ship and then encounter a sailor, Pedro, who was friends with Gonzalez, and he has the other half of the map. Yeah, the girls get the other side of the map, and independently you both find the Cots Island, where the treasure is. Uh, oh, and Vice attempts to warn the Nasultan, which is like a sultan but a Nasser, of the fact that the Valuans are going to attack them, which he learned back at the Mar of Ta- no, back at the Ma of Tardis, but uh, the the Sultan doesn't really listen to him, and so I just go off and also find the island. Uh, so you end up with two parties at different parts of the island, uh, and without knowing it, you're helping each other uh, open doors and switch out and, and make your way through the whole island. You reunite at the end of it, fight a boss. And then it turns out that the treasure is one coin and a note that says the real treasure is the friend you made along the way. <laughs> I'm not even making that up. Nope. And then when they, <laughs> and then everyone returns happily to Nasrad, but just in time for it to get attacked by Ramirez's fleet. And so everyone gets captured. They're imprisoned at the Grand Fortress, and the moon crystals that they've gained so far are appropriated. Vice and Gilder manage to escape the prison, and they save Ica from Vigoro, who's an admiral of the Valuan Armada. Deeply unpleasant character. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, the ultimate fight in the GameCube version was another fight with this guy. Oh, really? Yeah. You have to do, like, everything, though. And he he turns over a new leaf and becomes a pirate. But also, he's, I still don't like him very much. No. <laughs> yeah. Mo- most of the villains in this game are either just incompetent and feckless or really loathsome. But he sticks out. 
in uh, particular. It's mostly just because he's really horny and has a big cod piece, though. Let's be clear. Yeah, no, that's true. It's true. <laughs> yeah. They just modeled a real big old thing on the front of his pants. <laughs> so they reunite with Fina, and during their escape to the docks, they encounter Enrique, who's the uh, crown prince of Valua. Enrique uh, doesn't agree with his mother's desire to conquer the world and uh, offers Vice his prototype worship, the Delphinus, and uh, begs Vice to allow him to join their cause. He also gives back the stolen moon crystals, and uh, the party then escapes to the Grand Fortress with their new ship, which is uh, pretty badass. Yeah, this is the really cool part of the game where or it's a part of the game where things really open up. So you go back to or okay. So Vice is elected captain of the Delphinus, and Gilder on his way out gives you some advice such as, hey, you need to have a base, you need to build up a crew. So you go back to the island uh, Vice was marooned on, Crescent Isle, and make that your headquarters. And you also get I think your first crew member is uh, Marco, the kid from before who stowed away on your boat. And so now you can start recruiting people and customizing your base. And being, I'm a big sucker for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. build up a base. So this game is a really good one. So in the meantime, we're all sitting around a campfire. Fina reveals her connection to Ramirez, which is that he is also a Sylvite, and they were friends when they were kids. But he was sent to get the moon crystals before her by the Sylvite elders, and then they just lost contact with them. So... She doesn't know why he started siding with the Valley Winds, but they know you need to go find the Blue Moon Crystal next, so you go to a town called Esperanza. At Esperanza, they learn that to travel east, they've got to go through the Dark Rift, which is a perilous airspace, which has claimed many ships and lives. The uh, Bermuda Triangle of (laughs) the Arcadia world. Their journey is interrupted by uh, Gregorio, who's a Valuan admiral who's close to Enrique, and uh, he was ordered to bring Enrique back to Valua. Enrique refuses to return, and uh, so, yeah, you enter into a, another ship battle, this time with Gregorio's uh, fleet, which uh, forces him to retreat. Yeah, and Gregorio's gimmick is being very good at defense, if I remember correctly. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, once you do that, you basically go through and uh, successfully reach the other end of the Dark Rift. Yeah, in the end, it's just like a dungeon you sail through with a lot of weird yeah, stuff. Exactly. In there. Exactly. It sounds much cooler. And yeah. there is some reference to a special dark moon or something that used to exist or whatever. But maybe they wanted to do that in a sequel. It, it never really comes up again here. Oh, uh, yeah, or content that was cut. Oh, yeah, it could have been cut, too. Or it could have just been something put in there for flavor. So, <clears throat> now you're in the uh, Blue Moon Kingdom of Yafutoma, which is just Japan. And you get attacked by uh, the Tenko, their fleet, fight Jiao and Mao. They run away after you beat them. And you go and talk to the ruler here, Lord Mikado. What you learn is the Blue Moon Crystal is in Mount Kazai, which is just Mount Fuji. So you get a road. You have to get a ride with one of their boats because 
the entrance is too high in altitude for the Delphinus. So you do that dungeon. There's like some underwater segments. That's pretty fun. You get the blue crystal. You go back and give the crystal to Mikado. Uh, Vice wants to borrow it. Uh, Mikado says, I will when you leave, but I just want to hold on to it for now. And everyone stays at the royal guest house. But the next morning we find out that Beleza and Vigoro are in Yafutoma and they steal the Delphinus. And they even manage to invade and occupy Yafutoma because of some a, a traitorous vizier. <laughs> uh, yeah, Kangan and Baraji. And now they are in charge. So you have to escape through a secret passage with the help of uh, Princess Moegi. Using an escape capsule, Moegi suggests that they meet her exiled brother and uh, Yafutoman priest Daigo at Exile Island and obtain his help in taking back uh, Yafutoma. They reach the island and find out it's been taken over by the Tenku, coming across Zhao and Mao. They also learn that Daigo is now the leader of the Tenku, and they're able to pretty much talk him into helping them take back Yafutoma. So with, Daigo, so with Daigo's help, the party boards Delphinus, who, which is now in control by Miraji. They defeat Miraji, and they reclaim the ship. And after this, you have another ship battle, and they defeat Vigoro's ship. They defeat Vigoro's ship, the Draco. After the battle, Kengen summons Blueheim, which is the Blue Gigas, and... Uh, who has these powerful winds, which uh, forces the Valuan ships to retreat. So now you're forced to fight uh, Blueheim in a ship battle. And since you have the Delphinus, you can actually fight now. You don't have to pull any tricks. You just shoot it. So you win. You and Miraji are apprehended. Daigo gets to be Prince of Yafutoma again. And they give you the blue crystal and Moegi joins your crew. So then in order to get home, you realize you can just keep heading east and the world is round. You discover it even though Beleza is the one who told you. So really you didn't discover it. You're just stealing the credit. <laughs> but anyway, next up, you find out the purple moon crystal is in the lands of ice, the Arctic. So you head there and find the abandoned city of Glacia. And that's just a dungeon. And at the bottom of it, you find Drachma and Rachnum. Rackham is wounded in the value and attack earlier, and Drachma has been taken care of it because you learn that Rackham is actually uh, the purple gigas renamed Plurgoth, and has just been wandering around because all of the people who would have controlled it are dead, so it doesn't have a master anymore. And Drachma forgives Rackham for killing his son because they're both a victim of war. And Rackham dies and gives you the purple crystal. So now that Drachma has... Had a much happier ending than Captain Ahab. He heads off on his own, but you're still friends. Plus, he'll come and join you later on, but that's Ye neither here nor there. Yep. He'll, he'll, he'll appear. Again. Enrique is actually the party member who I like best because he can. He has an attack that uh, halves all physical damage for a turn. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's really great. So, yeah, now we're moving on to the Yellow Moon Crystal. So back at the base, uh, the party's trying to figure out how to get that yellow moon crystal. Enrique uh, suggests that they use the subterranean tunnels of the Valuan continent to reach it. They make their way through the underground caverns, the Maw of Tardis, 
and encounter and defeat Yaligar, who is the Yellow Gigas, which uh, completes Fina's quest by obtaining the final crystal, which is the Yellow Crystal, of course, as we've discussed. And uh, so then we head back to uh, Crest Nile. Fina explains that she can't get back home without her ship, which fell into the deep sky when she was initially captured by Valua. Yeah, now, uh, using a tip you got from Gilder, uh, Vice learns that Valua is working on getting into the deep sky, and they built a base beneath the clouds called Dangrel Island. And so, meanwhile, there, Galcian speaks to the other admirals and says he's assumed control of the whole Valua and Armada instead of uh, the Empress Theodora. And they've got, some of them are on his side and some of them aren't. So you get in, uh, you sneak into the base and grab DeLoco's schematics for a ship that can go into the deep sky. Uh, and as you leave, Galcian comes after you. But Gregorio comes and sacrifices himself nobly to hold Galcian back so you can leave. So your engineers uh, modify the Delphinus and let it go into the deep sky. But you do and start dredging for Fina's ship, but you get attacked by DeLoco. Uh, and then you fight him, but he's still using his same ship, so he goes down in one shot, which is very funny. <laughs> There's a lot of buildup for one shot, and then he just goes down. He's dead. Yeah, but it's fitting. It's a satisfying ending. Oh, yeah. No, it's good. It's, it's really good. In the meantime, you uh, drop off Enrique at Sailor's Island because he's going to leave. Go back home to Valua and warn his mother that you know, Galcian has betrayed them. Yeah, we head back to uh, Crescent Isle, and there's a uh, going-away party being thrown for Fina. And it is, unfortunately, interrupted by an attack fleet led by Ramirez and seizes the moon crystals. Once again, they get seized. He reveals his uh, disillusionment with the world and why he's loyal to Gaussian and that the Silvite's true mission for obtaining the moon crystals was to raise the lost silver continent of Soltis from the deep sky and call down the rains of destruction. So these are all things that you know, supposedly he's trying to, trying to head off. We find out that Sylvite is born with a uh, silver moon crystal, which upon removal causes death. He tries to take Fina's silver crystal, but is interrupted by one of Gilder's cannons, which causes him to retreat. As Vice and crew uh, rebuild their destroyed base, Fina asks Vice and Aka to come with her to the Great Silver Shrine to confront the elders regarding the true purpose of her mission. And this is when Gilder rejoins the party. Oh, meanwhile, Enrique is trying to warn his mother of Galcian's plans, and he wants to get his people to safety, and he doesn't agree with his mom's whole world domination thing, so he's trying to maybe subdue her by force. But Beleza, who just returned after Galcian asked her to, knocks him out, and Fonzo, who's now the commander of the Valuant Armada, orders her to lock him up. Meanwhile, you arrive at the Great Silver Shrine on the moon, the Silver Moon, and you meet the elders of the Silvite civilization. And you're like, hey, what the hell? So that's when they give you the whole backstory. Uh, long ago, as civilizations grew, they wanted the power of the moon crystals, and they made, a, they made gigases. And due to the creation and the power of the gigases, 
they left a trail of destruction in their wake. So the Silvites decided to reset the world by making their own Gigas Zelos and summon the Reigns of Destruction. So they did that. They destroyed, cleansed the world. And then they sealed Delos away in Soltis and sunk that whole continent into the deep sky, hoping that they'd never have to use it again. So the elders offer advice, a chance to stay at the shrine and avoid getting uh, bombarded by meteors. But Ice and Fina are not having any of that. And suddenly, Galcian and Ramirez show up, ambush the elders, assassinate Elder Prime, and take his silver crystal. And then they escape, and everything seems really bad, but of course, we know our characters. They're not going to give up. They're going to stop Galcian. Of course. Yeah, going off a rumor, the Galcians built an elevator from Dangrel Island into Deep Sky that they can reach Soltis. The party goes off to Dangrel Island. On their way to the elevator, they're attacked by uh, Vigoro, who is uh, thankfully defeated. They reach the core room of Soltis, and they find Gaussian, but they're too late, as Gaussian and Ramirez have broken the seal holding the Gigas, and they awaken Zelos and raise Soltis. After the party escapes back to their ship, they're forced to retreat because Soltis's impenetrable defense system, the Dome of Light, prevents them from reaching. Gaussian orders Zelos to summon the Reigns of Destruction to annihilate Valua, killing Empress Theodora, and Beleza and Enrique barely escape with their lives. Back at headquarters, uh, Vice is unsure of what to do, realizing uh, they lack the firepower to take on Gaussian's defense. You get this uh, classic JRPG point where basically all the allies and friends that Vice has made along the way come to his aid to give him encouragement and help yeah. defeat Gaussian. Yes, the real armada is the friends you made along the way. Literally. <laughs> this time it's actually true. Indeed. I would say in this case, at least most of them are actually useful. It's not just the, like, like the fleet of every continent you've been to. Yeah. Some like, pirates and all sorts of things. If you remember what good friends you had all along the way, you'll gain superpowers and take out the final boss. It's not like that. They These folks are actually useful. So... Basically, after this, everyone rests up for the night before the final battle. On the way to Soltis, you have to do some fights against uh, Galcian's armada. And then eventually he has a big sky fortress called the Hydra, which is the big boss of the ship segment here. You beat it, you board it to go get to him, and then you fight him as a boss fight. So once you beat him... He goes to escape, but Beleza shows up and just crashes her ship into his escape pod, and they both die. Uh, fortunately, Ramirez gets totally unhinged by Galcian's death and decides he's just going to summon the reins. But Sylvite elders just take the whole silver shrine and crash it down on top of Soltis, sacrificing themselves to interrupt the reins and also destroy the Dome of Light. So this clears the way for you to go into Soltis, the final dungeon. You go all fight your way to the core and fight Ramirez in a battle. But even after beating him, he forfeits his life to merge with Zelos and gain control of it. Uh, Fina says, we've got to beat him before he finishes transforming, or else this is going to be unstoppable. So you go back to the Delphinus and do your last, real last uh, 
ship fight against Zelos. But even after you beat that, like one more chunk of it falls onto the Delphinus's deck and you fight. Uh, Ramirez merged with Zelos. And Zelos is, I don't know. I feel like it's one of those final bosses you saw a lot around the, the this era of game, which was like an extra technified Death Star or something. Oh yeah, like just that. a big circle for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ramirez has an attack where he takes control of one of your party members for a turn, and I just remember hearing that uh, he can just use Fina's uh, big expensive special ability that heals the entire party on himself. <laughs> so that that's very unpleasant if anyone has that happening to them. Yeah. Let's see. It, now that they've defeated uh, Zealous and Ramirez is done for as well, you've pretty much got the defeat of the Valiant Armada. And uh, so, yeah, that when we get to the uh, kind of uh, conclusions of everything and uh, you got like a uh, roll call of most of uh, your characters and colleagues vowing to uh, go their separate ways vice and Ica inaugurate fina as a blue rogue and uh, the three vow to sail off into the sunset but not before vice invites everyone for a feast and uh, he gives announces it with an air punch which is like something out of an 80s action film <laughs> I got you get a uh, like shot after the credits of uh, Fina and Cupel wearing pirate outfits, which is very good. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very cool. But yeah, that wraps it up for the story of Skies of Arcadia. Let's see. Any final impressions that you have that we haven't touched on? Yeah, I think we've hit on most of it. I was glad to hear this uh, still held up for you years after it came out. And thinking about it, I can see it. There's stuff about this game that still feels pretty unique, even, God, a couple decades later now. It was this 2003? Yeah, like almost 20 years now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, to be honest, I had the emulator running at, uh, I think, 180 percent speed yeah Uh, i can see that that's the one thing like it is of its era in that way it's very fun just i don't know thematically and feel like it's nice and breezy you might uh, use some some certain tools to make some of that experience a little bit nicer if you were to play it now yeah definitely we get a re-release with that fast forward button like some of those final fantasies Oh, God, that'd be great. That'd be phenomenal. I would love to see a re-release of this game. I think that the core elements of it are just as solid now as they were when it was originally released, I imagine. The story is... It's exactly what it needs to be. It's lighthearted. It's swashbuckling. The characters aren't that developed or anything like that. But that's perfectly fine for what it sets out to be. I would love to see a remaster of this game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I second that. I would even consider replaying it, I think, if with the right with the right features. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't see it happening. For some reason, Sega's shoved this down the memory hole. Um, yeah, it was in that racing game, so maybe someday. Yeah, and granted, so was Rystar, and I don't see another Rystar game happening. 
Yeah, yeah. And they did bring Vice back for at least the first Valkyria Chronicles in kind of a cameo role. Every couple of years, Sega's, we're going to go back to, to our original IP. And what that usually means is like a shitty reboot of Shinobi or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I don't know, especially considering the fact that their purchase of Atlas has made them re-embrace RPGs and, you know, maybe help them figure out how to make RPGs and still turn a profit on them. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't be totally implausible to at least get a remaster, especially since almost everything is getting a remaster for Steam now. Yeah, this is like the best possible time or the most likely time to see it. Or maybe we'll get something really dumb, the Yakuza game in this setting or something. (laughs) Chaos timeline. Yeah, yeah. Maybe uh, Sega Gaga 2 with with Kiryu and Alex Kidd and and Vice hanging out. Uh, This is a good Um, idea. So we'll never happen, but. <laughs> and the alien from Alien Isolation. Somehow that's, oh, yeah, that's absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that if you have some patience for the limitations of games of the time and want to maybe do what I did and find a few little like workarounds or hacks to make it a little more uh, user-friendly, I would highly recommend it. I I feel like it is probably one of the most underrated JRPGs of its era, which is funny to say because the people who do know about it and are into it love it. It just uh, doesn't often come up. And the top tier of JRPGs from the like PS1 and PS2 era. Yeah, it's a cult classic. Very much like the definition of that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, before we go, do you have any plugs you'd like to make? Yeah, if you want, you can check out uh, my Twitter at PewterIsCuter because I'm just uh, shitposting gay furry. Uh, Whatever. (laughs) You know, post something about Mario 64. I'm playing that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Backwards Uh, long jump. So long, gay Bowser. Man. Man. I haven't made it I haven't made it over to uh Mario sixty four yet. I'm still working my way through Odyssey. But uh, yeah, yeah, Robert's Twitter is uh, definitely a pro follow. I would say on my end, uh, definitely check out the other podcast that I host, uh Megaten Marathon, which is a game by game journey through the Shimigami Tensei and Persona games. Most recently, we have been doing Devil Survivor, and uh, we're going to be doing Nocturne next. And as far as just kind of like uh, show business, uh, you can follow you can follow Combo Chain for updates on Twitter. You can like the Facebook page, and if you are gener- feeling generous, you could kick back, kick down a few bucks for our Patreon. So anything that you can kick down would be much appreciated. That's at uh, patreon.com mirror image studios. And there's a uh, link to that in the show notes. 
And I think that's about it. Oh, well, the obligatory. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else that you can rate and review podcasts. Yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks so much for joining, joining me on this, Robert. Well, thanks for having me. This is a cool game and always a good time. Certainly is. Yeah, we got to get you back. Yeah, thanks for joining us, Robert. And we'll have you on again soon to do a Tales game. And uh, yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody.